How's it going, everyone? We're here with the 59th episode of Fear Frequency, and if you're a new listener, this is a weekly horror podcast where George and I round up the latest horror news and review a movie or two. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Frizzard. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review over on iTunes. It takes like a second. You don't even have to leave us a review, but if you do, we'll read it on the show, which is like a really cool uh, incentive. <laughs> and uh, you can also email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com, and we will also read those messages on the show. And this week, we're coming at you live from Philly, baby. We have some news on an Unsolved Mysteries reboot, It Chapter 2, Creep Show, and more. And in segment two, we're reviewing First Name Mr., Last Name Glass. <laughs> Uh, so before we get into the news, we don't have a Halloween alert this week, which is crazy. Uh, but we are going to talk about the Oscar nominations, which are just as crazy. Uh, Dean Domino in our Discord asked, is he the only one that was completely underwhelmed by the Oscar nominations this year? And uh, no, he's not. No. <laughs> did you see? Did you look at these? I, I saw a few of them, but I mostly just saw the huge outrage online. My Twitter was blown up today with people just completely flabbergasted by the amount of movies that got snubbed this year. <laughs> there isn't a single horror movie in the like running for Oscars. So I saw people were upset because of Mandy not getting nominated, but that's that's more of an that's like an issue on the people who put out Mandy's part because they put out the VOD release too close to the theatrical release and they were like because of that totally exempt from being able to be even nominated so that was on them even though it's a stupid rule Mm -hmm. so that sucks for Mandy the one's biggest snub is obviously hereditary Ari Aster he didn't get uh, nominated for best director Tony Collette didn't get nominated for best actress and hereditary didn't get nominated for best picture but you know what did get nominated for best picture is fucking bohemian rhapsody which is made by yeah. a pedophile which yeah. is insane <laughs> and then you got black panther which a is like i'm just gonna say it a pretty mediocre movie all around and b it's definitely not the best marvel movie that came out last year and if they were gonna pick one i think like you know infinity war was the way to go but yeah hey. that, <laughs> really weird um i, I don't know just like I- contextually <laughs> The Chris Nolan superhero movies never got nominated, but, like, fucking Black Panther does, which is, like, the most basic, easy, like, just simple Marvel movie. There's really nothing complex about it. The visual effects are terrible, mostly, throughout the entire movie. Black Panther's barely in it. There's some cool characters, but, like, it's just not... I don't think it's a good movie, honestly. I know a lot of people love it, but... It's far from the best Marvel movie, Uh, so... (laughs) Uh, but I'd say it's but, like I mean, on par with Captain America. But even Stranger one. movies have gotten Oscars before. What Suicide Squad won Best Costume a few years ago. I mean, right. it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's yeah, unheard like, of to get these. They really wanted to make out there movies. It's like they wanted to make some statement by nominating Black Panther because they're like, oh, we got to be more popular. But then mm. they just ignored every other popular movie. Like A Quiet right. Place could have been in there. Annihilation could have been in there. They put Get Out in last year for a bunch of different things. And that actually won an Oscar. And just to have a movie like Hereditary that totally blew up and that was someone's first feature and to not be nominated for that, it's just, it's embarrassing. It's stupid. Yeah. If there was one huge snub that, uh, and I think we're obviously not alone in saying this, Hereditary being snubbed overall is probably the biggest strange, I mean, we all expected them to just kind of ignore it, but it's at the same time, it's like, how can you really ignore that movie when it made not only a huge impact culturally, but, you know, it being this director's first time out and it being so critically acclaimed, Tony Collette being so great in it. And it's just it's just strange to, to right. skip that. It's one. like largely a perfect film. Like there's really nothing to criticize in it. It's like, especially if you watch it more than once, you, like most of the criticisms I had seeing it the first time were all totally expunged by watching it a second time and understanding what was going on. It's like yeah. I honestly feel like the Academy didn't even give it that first chance. No, and, and like not not to knock it. This isn't meant to be a. a something that's like a bad towards the film but it feels like oscar bait in a way where yeah, it's totally, like very it's, it's very art artistic film. it's like <laughs> y- you know like there's a lot of symbolism there's hidden meaning it's very artistically directed it's not like very in your face 
typical horror movie where you'd expect the Academy to say, oh, well, this has no artistic value. Hereditary is a movie that obviously has a lot of artistic value that they're just choosing to ignore for some dumb reason. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Black Panther isn't culturally important. I can totally see why it is. I just don't think it's a good movie. It's It's a very similar situation to Wonder Woman, where that movie is culturally important to a lot of people, but it's like on par with some of the most mediocre Marvel movies at best. There's like countless errors in that movie. Like just easy things to overlook that even Aquaman bested it in. <laughs> but it, Black Panther is in no way, shape, or form the caliber of movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Like I just, that's just not right. Especially yeah. <laughs> with what didn't get nominated. And you know what? It's also, people are saying it's the first superhero movie to get nominated, but I'm pretty sure Birdman got yeah, Bird, nominated. Birdman did get some kind of. Um, for Best nom. Picture or something. And am I mistaken? Or I guess if we're just talking about Best Picture. Yeah, I I'm pretty Heath, sure Birdman got nominated. I think Birdman did get nominated. Yeah. And Heath Ledger won for Best Actor in yeah. Dark Knight. So if we're talking like total category it's not see, the first superhero movie you know i could i, I would have been fine if like uh michael b jordan got nominated for best actor for killmonger that really wouldn't have bothered me it's just like you're throwing your fucking credibility out the window by nominating a movie that is like technically flawed at its mechanical level like the some of the visual effects in black panther are as bad as some of the visual effects in The Predator. And The Predator went through, like, multiple reshoots and re-edits and rewrites. Black Panther was largely, like, a solid production from start to finish. The only issue mm-hmm. with it was they had their animating team working on Infinity War, so it got kind of, like, shafted in the visual defects department. Right. So, like, and like you were saying, know. if you're going to pick one Marvel movie that came out this year, you would have to pick Ooh. Infinity War over Black Panther just because that's yeah. a better movie. <sighs> Yeah, on top, like, so they're both cultural achievements, and I'd say the cultural achievement of Black Panther is more important than the cultural achievement of Infinity War, but Infinity War gets the leg up for actually being a competent and well-made fucking movie. (laughs) That doesn't have massive pacing (laughs) issues and, like... And it's the culmination of a story that's been built up for ten years, so it's like... (laughs) That that deserves its own kind of praise in in a way. Yeah, this is, in, like... I, I know I sound a lot more harsh on this podcast than I do in the Discord, but that's because stuff comes through weird in text, and I feel like I can defend myself better vocally, <laughs> but it just it blows my fucking mind. So welcome to the comic book podcast, guys. <laughs> but uh, we just wanted to touch on that really quick because Dean Domino asked us that question. Thank you, man, for that sick-ass question, dude. But yeah, bad, bad, bad Oscars this year. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad fucking yard, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing you've got on here is a thousand percent more exciting netflix is rebooting unsolved mysteries and they promise to main ch- maintain that chilling feeling of the original uh so they uh, confirmed last week that they're bringing back the series it was originally hosted by robert stack who is now dead unfortunately so they can't bring him back but the mystery docuseries is being revived by the original creators which is awesome along with the producers of stranger things which is even better right <laughs> and the, so have you watched a lot of un- Unsolved Mysteries? I haven't really seen too many full episodes. I've seen clips here and there, but I was never really big into it. Like, I never watched it when I was a kid, or... Like, I might have caught a rerun here or there, but it wasn't really huge for me growing up. I watched a ton of it because it's made by FilmRise, or produced by FilmRise, the same company who produces Forensic Files. And right. they, they are... <laughs> exactly the same in terms of like effects budget and style i guess yeah, like, like they're very similar shows they do the same yeah. like they they talk talk about something they reenact it and then there's like interviews with people and and it's like set up very similar yeah the difference is that forensic files deals with solved cases that aren't paranormal but unsolved mysteries deals with things like i know there's an episode about the mothman they deal with cryptids and mm-hmm. if you solve a case they talk about they'll make updates in later episodes and be like this case was solved by this person in this place they're an unsolved mysteries watcher blah 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 it's like <laughs> it was pretty cool so i don't know how they'll do that with netflix but that's awesome it's it's kind of like an endless content show too because they can just do anything especially right. if it's new producers and like a new host they don't they could even retell mysteries or they could 
talk about mysteries that have been solved since the original series. So I feel like this is a slam dunk. Like I'm sure there are mysteries that are that they've done in the original series that people would love to see what the modern take on it is, or if there's been any updates, what's changed about it, or, or even just to hear a retelling of it. I think people would be very much into that. So they have a big well of stories to draw on for sure. Yeah, and we already answered the first part of this question, but H Van Demand says, "Were you guys fans of the old Unsolved Mysteries show?" I yeah, so like we already answered that. He said, "If so, what's our favorite episode?" Well, you haven't seen them, but like they covered cryptids and stuff like that, so I'm sure you can kind of hazard a guess at what would yeah. be your favorites. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, anything like Bigfoot or Mothman related, I think I'd be very much into. <laughs> Yeah, I think you'd like it, but uh, in case anyone didn't know, I don't think I've ever told you this either, but uh, FilmRise uploaded every single episode to their YouTube channel for free. So you can just watch them on YouTube. Yeah, so if you guys are like at a job that has a web blocker, that does most of them don't block YouTube in both of our experience. So you can go on FilmRise's channel, you can watch every episode of Unsolved Mysteries and uh, Forensic Files, which is also a great show. But speaking about streaming services, we talked about last year that Shudder is bringing back uh, Creepshow. We also talked about this last week, for some reason we brought this up, but Greg Nicotero, one of the showrunners of The Walking Dead who left and is now working on three original movies featuring uh, Rick Grimes and Andrew Lincoln, he's taken a stab at the Creepshow reboot. And we haven't heard anything about creators involved or like episode titles or anything like that until this week. So Production Weekly announced that Rob Schrab is I think how you say his name. He's worked on stuff like Monster House, Workaholics, The Sarah Silverman Show, and Community. He's directing an episode called Bad Wolf Down. And the plot synopsis there is a group of World War II American soldiers pinned down by a Nazi unit resort to unholy and supernatural means to avoid capture, torture, and death. Uh, That sounds a whole lot like Overlord. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that vibe to it. You can see them... There's probably going to be some kind of strange Nazi experiment or some kind of occult relic that the Nazis are using that the American soldiers have to get around use themselves. Or, or use themselves. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's a cool plot device. I think that's like yeah. an, an interesting story. I think and it's I, evergreen. <laughs> like, yeah, I would yeah. watch anything with the story. <laughs> right. Like that. Right. That's not something that you get tired of seeing. You know, you always want to see the Nazis lose. So it's just like a cool well to draw on. But I, I don't know. I think this is kind of a fun plot. And we've seen, obviously, a lot of comedy writers come in and really knock it out of the park with horror. Right. Uh, That's why it's not weird to see that. It's noteworthy, but I don't think it's weird. I'm like, oh, okay, so he caught on to the fact that comedy writers make good horror writers. <laughs> right. I mean, between David Gordon Green with Halloween and <laughs> and uh, Jordan Peele with, with Get Out, it's like, you know, these, these guys, there's just something about their writing style or the way they look at things are right that just seems to work well with horror so i'm completely on board with this uh bandwagon and and i hope this show turns out well and and i'm excited to see this episode for sure yeah and the idea of the good guys you know like taking hold of this nazi serum or whatever they're gonna go with and then using it against the Nazis, it deals well with the themes of the Creepshow movies, which are usually about the main character having to deal with consequences of their own actions, you know? It's like you got the one where uh, the dad comes back and kills the family who killed him for the cake, the Where's My Cake one. You got the one where Leslie Nielsen, uh, he buries his cheating wife and her lover up to their neck in the sand, (laughs) stuff like that. So it... That fits well within the theme of a lot of the shorts that were in the two Creepshow movies. So I like that. I think right, that's it's cool. usually like a, a monkey's paw situation where yeah, you get, yeah, that's you a good get your it. wish or whatever, but there's always a consequence to it. Right, and I like that Creepshow goes with things, or the movies go with things where like you can empathize with Leslie Nielsen's character. You're like, yeah, dude, like I get it. But then <laughs> objectively what he's doing is wrong, so he still has to suffer the consequences for that. And I thought that was cool. Yeah, that is like the monkey's paw thing that you yeah. just said. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and you can see how they could fit that into whatever plot they're writing. I mean, there's a million oh, situations yeah. you could write that kind of story into. So I, I hope this show gets a lot of viewers. I hope it gets people subscribing to Shudder. I mean, they're already there for Joe Bob, so might as well watch this as well. So I, I don't know. I just think it's a cool idea for a show, and I'm glad we're getting some more info about it. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know that movie Wish Upon with Joey King. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a very similar monkey's paw type movie. Yeah, that movie's <laughs> fucking terrible. But everyone should go watch uh, Ralph the Movie Maker's video. <laughs> fucking Wish Upon because it's hilarious. Um, the next thing on here is much more. Or that wasn't even a negative story. This is also a positive story. Edgar Wright is uh, working on a new movie, and it's a psychological horror film, which is fucking sick. So if you don't know who he is, he's the guy behind. Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver, and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And he's going back to horror, which is what Shaun of the Dead was. And he's calling it a straight up psychological horror thriller, which sets it apart from Shaun of the Dead because that's like more of a horror comedy. Yeah, there's definitely and a lot of levity in that movie. There's there's zombies in it, but it's not, I wouldn't call that a horror movie. Yeah, me neither. It, 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 but like the horror elements of it are well done. Like it's yeah, all definitely. Practical and kind of gets like spooky i would say yeah. but anyways he told empire that he said he said it this way i'm not gonna read it in a weird tense he said i realized i never had wait i realized i had never made a film about central london specifically soho somewhere i've spent a huge amount of time in the last 25 years and uh he said with hot fuzz and Shaun of the dead you make movies about places you've lived in this movie is about Lon- is about the london i've existed in Ooh, sounds really spooky. <laughs> That's not yeah. really re- too revealing, but I hope it's cool, whatever it is. Yeah, so, I mean, not a lot of details in there, but psychological horror thriller. So it's supposed to be, like, maybe gritty London, maybe some kind of serial killer will get maybe some Jack the Ripper-esque story going on in there. Right, uh, that'd I- be cool. Whatever he does is going to be good, so... I'll just wait. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's a fantastic writer, director. I I love love all of his movies. So it's cool to see him kind of dipping his toe more into horror and try to be maybe take it even a little bit darker, a little bit more twisted. So I'm interested to see kind of what comes out of this. Right. Uh, the next thing on here, I will definitely let you handle because it's about <laughs> Suspiria. Yeah. So uh, Dario Argento says that the Suspiro remake betrayed the spirit of the original film. So, uh, <laughs> as it turns what? out, Argento was not too pleased about uh, Guadagnino's vision. Uh, via the film stage, uh, Argento <laughs> commented on the film saying that it did not excite me. It betrayed the spirit of the original film. There is no fear. There is no music. The film has not satisfied me so much. <laughs> he says that it is a refined <laughs> film and an, uh, Guadagnino is a fine person but th- that's that's all he oh, has thanks. to say uh, on the remake <laughs> that's like knocking someone out and cutting off their legs but then being like you know what it wasn't personal I know you're a decent guy <laughs> like what the hell is he talking about has he seen the movie there's music it's great it, yeah. it is scary it's pretty scary I would say <laughs> uh, that scene where the girl gets all crunched up yeah, and you see I mean, them all like fucked up because they had their life force taken out of them by dancing. Yeah, insane body know. horror, and I, I think that the issue is, it, it's probably hard to see something that your entire namesake is built on. In the fact right. that I think a lot of people, when they think of Argento, it's just synonymous with Suspiria. That's his obviously most well-known film. That's what people kind of yeah. go to immediately. So I think it's kind of threatening for him to have this remake that comes out and a lot of people are praising it as better than the original. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so it's kind of like spitting on his legacy in a way. And so he, he probably doesn't take too kindly to that, so I get why he's kind of trying to say that it isn't isn't as good as it is <laughs> and kind of try to protect the movie he made, which is a masterpiece in its own right, for sure. Yeah. Um, I just think, I think the newer one is more accessible and does a better job at delivering the story to, like... Yeah someone who's just curious rather than someone who's done all the research about who he is and what kind of films he makes you know like it's definitely just a modernized version it tells its own story and that's kind of that's what i think anyone would prefer like what's the point of remaking a movie if you're just going to do it the exact same way right and i don't i think one thing that's really kind of special about the remake is that it's kind of it's the best way to do a remake it's looking at the bones of the original movie and making your own vision out of it. It's not right. a shot-for-shot remake. It's not trying to spit on the original. It's not trying to remake scenes in the original. It's looking at what the what story was told and modernizing it or putting your own vision on what that story is. And I think... It, it, I believe this the remake is better than the original, but I think they're both masterpieces. Yeah, they're, they're so different 
while keeping the same themes that I feel like they can both exist and be good. I yeah. don't think it's like mutually exclusive that one of them is good. Right. I, I don't think making a remake of it in a different kind of vision is a betrayal of the original film. I thought that it was terrifying and was a good remake. So uh, I think Argento might just be a little bit uh, feel betrayed that people are saying that it's better than his kind of magnum opus. Yeah, and I want to congratulate friend of the show, Luke Jaggers. We just got the carrier pigeon letter from him letting us know that the film was released in the wasteland of Louisiana, which has no movie theaters, finally on DVD and Blu-ray, and he was able to see it, and I think he liked it. Nice. So it's yeah. good that uh, people can finally get their hands on it because it the was in, like, there. four theaters. <laughs> the joke there is that, like, Indiana is not a barren place and they probably should have fucking released the movie there like what the hell i don't know it's stupid and they also put the 4k cut on digital but not 4k blu-ray it's like that i have no idea why you why <laughs> I, I just don't get it something's going on over at amazon and it's not good i'll say it's right now it's strange. not good yeah so next up, Anya, last week we talked about Tom Savini joining on at Trick or Treat Studios, and the fruits of his labor are already starting to show themselves. They've already announced their 2019 Halloween offerings, and they saved, they saved some good stuff for 2019, that's all I'm going to say. So the, the biggest announcement here, obviously, the original Halloween 1 mask. Now, the original photo they shared of it was done up just a little too much for my liking, especially knowing how Trick or trick-or-treat studios has done stuff like that in the past but in the bloody disgusting article they have a photo of a mask that looks like the production quality that you'll probably get which is which is good it's solid but not perfect yeah um i think that the halloween stuff does look pretty good i think that that is one of the closer uh, original michael myers masks that we've seen in a while i mean i think it looks better than a lot of the sequels masks yeah. which is a, a compliment um but it, it's I, I cool think to they see. probably learned their lesson too right like, <laughs> right and I, hopefully they have a, a huge quantity of these to go around instead of making people kind of buy them uh, secondhand or let's really... not get crazy here george <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed i'm hoping they figured some kind of uh supply chain management issues some that sy- they have some sort of system you know yeah. they, maybe maybe tom savini being hired will give them more money to pay for adequate shipping yeah it's not like they're paying him production quality. huge dollar huge dollars just to hang around like. right <laughs> but what you'll be able to buy from them this this halloween is a michael myers prop rep, replica knife which looks okay in the picture you can buy the full jumpsuit you can get laurie strode's cut shirt with a prosthetic like to apply yourself with the slash down her shoulder you can get the young michael clown mask and clown costume you can get a pretty good loomis costume but I think Jay from We Watched Movies is better. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. You can get a Judith Myers gravestone, which I will be buying. Yeah, you can definitely. also get. <laughs> That's gonna be on the set for sure. <laughs> you can get um the Michael Myers ghost costume, which if you buy that, uh, check yourself into a mental hospital. <laughs> and there's a high H1 static prop, which looks like a full size Michael Myers, but the picture cut off half of the body, so. I don't want to say anything definitive there. You can get a poster, a final processing metal sign from the Silver Shamrock Novelties plant, which, again, I will be buying. <laughs> they have the Halloween 3 masks, Halloween 5, both masks, which the Halloween 5 mask is a good one for Trick or Treat Studios to handle because due to their varying degrees of quality in their masks, the worse this one gets, the better it is technically because it's the worst mask. Right. <laughs> It looks like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it does have a little bit of a cagey quality to it. Yeah. They're doing the Jamie Lloyd clown costume, thorn temporary tattoos. They're doing that brute mask he wears when he goes and picks up Tina on Halloween 5. Some Chucky shit, some Evil Dead shit, some Return of the Living Dead shit, some Creep Show shit. Happy Death Day mask. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You got some, some Shining costumes, some Dogman mask. Yeah, some original works from Tom Savini, which are dope. Uh, wall decorations and a whole lot more. They're they're offering up some pretty cool stuff. Uh, hopefully, it comes on time and it's a good quality. That's all I can hope for. But um, it's a way larger have, selection than I anticipated. Like this yeah. is stacked. There's a lot of stuff in here that I think people are going to be very interested in getting their hands on. Yeah, and uh, new Discord member 
Joshy Thickness, which is fucking awesome. He's an <laughs> artist. He he drew uh, a really cool Michael Myers and shared that in our Discord. So go check that out. Uh, he says that the Tots H1 mask he's iffy on because he's cautiously optimistic about it, but he needs to see more pictures. And I feel like we're all in the same boat there. Yeah, because that's that's definitely the the stance you should be taking on that since the yeah. all all the uh, stuff they talked about the. Halloween 2018 mask and how that was basically the same as the movie the only thing that's different was the hair and then it came out and people couldn't fit it on their head and it was a little bit shoddier craftsmanship than people <laughs> yeah, anticipated. Yeah, that was so funny. When uh, Riley uh, from Slash It Gas was putting it on trying to put yeah. it on, it's like for a baby compared to his head. It definitely like, wasn't know. the one they showed me. I was deceived, I know, I'm smaller than the actor. I know he can put on a mask bigger than this. <laughs> and Riley's just got that voice, too, that makes it funnier. Like, he's just like, I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. I felt pretty felt pretty bad about that, but I w- what, what can I say? You guys saw it all. In, it was all on camera. I was told one thing, and the masks turned out to be a different way. Uh, but I like these offerings they're coming up with this year. They've, they've begun to atone in my heart. Yeah, and, and at so, least there are some cool props. Yeah, the props look cool. I'll buy the gravestone. Not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, this next thing on here, dude, this is weird. So Robert Zemeckis, he's doing an adaptation of a book called The Witches, and Anne Hathaway is playing the Grand High Witch, which is weird, but not really that <laughs> crazy because she played the White Witch in uh, the Alice in Wonderland remakes. Oh yeah, yeah, she remember did. that. Yeah. She was like, hey, what up? It's me. <laughs> Forgot about that movie. Yeah. She's playing the Grand High Witch in a new adaptation of Roald Dahl, the guy who wrote Willy Wonka, his 1983 novel, which was first adapted by Nicholas Rogue back in 1990. No one's heard of that, though, so <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm wrong, but I'll go with no one's heard of that. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds cool. I like witches. I never read the yeah. book. I don't know what it's about, but I'll watch it. Yeah, I'm. I'm not too familiar with the source material either. Um, I think Anne Hathaway is a good actress. Have you heard though. of it? I, I think I've never I've even heard, heard of it. it. I feel like I've seen somebody talk about it, but I'm very unfamiliar with it. Like hmm. I haven't. I don't even know what the plot synopsis is, uh, and I haven't seen the 1990 movie either. So, <laughs> so this might just be something that fans of the 90s movie will be hyped for, but. I didn't even know they were doing a new adaptation of this. I don't know if they did an old adaptation of it, but I think Anne Hathaway is a good actress, and Zemeckis is a pretty good director. So, Yeah, Zemeckis, of course, the famous director behind Back to the Future. One, two, behind three. Back to the Future. And Flight. You ever watched that movie? No. Uh, the plot synopsis is that Denzel Washington is a pilot, and he also does hard drugs, and he's an alcoholic. And he pulls off this amazing stunt at the beginning of the movie. Oh, where that the, was based the play- on the true story of that pilot, right? No, that's Sully. This is different. This is no, about a I guy. I think the Denzel Washington Wait, was also based on a pilot. There's no way, because his whole trick that he pulls <laughs> is landing a plane upside down. <laughs> maybe maybe that isn't based on a real guy. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, man, this guy's a hero. He's great. And then uh, it turns out that he was, like, both drunk and massively high on cocaine while he landed this plane upside down and they're like wait a minute did you cause the crash in the first place and it's a wild ride that's just the beginning of the movie i just described it's like the first 10 minutes and it goes it gets wild i think i think it's a good movie so i don't know you gotta trust it after that yeah robert zemeckis good guy i know him personally (laughs) i'm seeing him next week (laughs) <laughs> uh, also, it's set in the Gothic South in the 1960s. Which so is I a really cool all... setting. Oh, Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron are producing. So, that's pretty good. You've got the guy behind Children of Men and the guy behind Crimson Peak producing. That's yeah. not bad. You got a lot of big names on this. And a big actress to be the, the Grand High Witch. So... At least the talents there and the people who can get you some cash for it are, are on board as well. Yeah. With my limited knowledge, I am excited. So <laughs> I'm way more excited about this, though. Uh, even though the Oscar nominations were terrible, Fangoria, they, they came in with the save today and announced that they're resurrecting the Chainsaw Awards. 
And their website that they came up with is pretty nice. They've got some categories like best movie, best actor. I can't read them, so I'm just guessing. <laughs> There's like best, best director. I can read them now. Best <laughs> wide release, best streaming premiere movie, best foreign movie. And I will say, every category, I knew most of the movies, and I had seen most of the movies. And it took me about three minutes to fill out the sheet. I think everyone should. They let you say what your favorite moment was, and I'm sure they might print that in a future magazine, which would be Mm -hmm. dope. I said my favorite moment, guys, was the knife kill from Halloween after the one take. I thought that was was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, (laughs) did, Did you fill this out? Uh, I haven't got around to it yet, but I'm going to immediately after we are done recording. Yeah, I also finally subscribed to Fangoria, because, like, I was, I bought the first issue in Telluride, and I was like, well, now I can't subscribe, because <laughs> I'll be paying $60 for three issues, but right. today I found out that it's I just get the first issue in Volume 2, instead of the first issue in Volume 1, which is the oh, one I already own. So they'll just, like, push it back one? Yeah, so I subscribed, and then... Uh, I bought the Mothman shirt I've been looking at for a while, too. So, <laughs> two two things checked off my list there. You had a good day. Yeah, I, I recently got the second one uh, in the mail, the Joe Bob one that has the... That's the one that was like, all right, I'm going to subscribe. Like, has they the got... interview with uh, Last Podcast in it, but I haven't gotten around to reading oh it yet. Oh, my God. Last Podcast are so good, dude. That's, it's like, one a... of our favorite podcasts, just so everyone knows. We've listened to it for years. Yeah. Since... <laughs> since we were both in our second year of college i want to say it's been a while yeah a couple, couple Even years maybe at least before that damn they're great if you haven't <laughs> ever listened to the last podcast on the left they're still doing it and they're still awesome they're writing a book yeah um, i think it's set to release this year yeah i will definitely read that but i'm excited that i ordered fangoria it was a nice way to tip the scale of my very bad morning where i went to the gym that was oh man awful <laughs> terrible experience all around yeah i got, I got uh, a notification on my apple watch that you completed an elliptical workout and i was like that can't be right <laughs> that can't be true but that that's horseshit because i did the stair climber <laughs> which is terrible that is the worst machine but you feel like you're getting a workout and you can use your phone while you're on it so that's true there's the, the upside then i ran on the treadmill equally bad a lot of cardio and i did some weights too and i was like wow this this sucks. And then I left. <laughs> I was there for a whole hour. But uh, yeah, all my everyone was texting me like, good job. I was like, how does everyone know? And I realized I'm friends with a lot of people on Apple Watch. <laughs> so that's why I bought the Fangoria subscription and a Mothman t-shirt. Well, you gotta <laughs> to take the go with the bad. Bane. Everything yeah, has right. to be in balance. Yeah, and uh, another thing that really excited me is that James McAvoy, he says that Bill Skarsgård genuinely terrified him as Pennywise on It Chapter 2's set. And if there's one guy, I believe, it's James McAvoy. You ever seen that guy? It's not Great like actor. he can play any character. It would be a very <laughs> easy liar or anything like that. But he was on Good Morning America, and he touched briefly upon his experience on the set last year, admitting that Bill Skarsgård freaked him out when he was in character. He said, he's amazing. Skarsgård is terrifying. He's a lovely guy, and yet he really freaked me out. I remember him standing there with the rest of the cast, all these adults, and we'd all done weird, freaky stuff, <laughs> and we were all looking at each other, going, "I don't, I don't like being here. I don't, I don't like being an actor today." And McAvoy added after that, "He really did. He really freaked me out. I never liked clowns as a kid." Uh, <laughs> and Pennywise returns on September sixth, as everyone knows, this year. That's coming up quick, dude. Shit. Yeah, I mean, it's already. You know, it's coming out in September of 2019. It feels yeah. like it's been longer than it has been for the first chapter being done. You know what I mean? Yeah, that I think that movie will take Halloween spot this year as the tentpole horror movie we can all get excited for. Yeah, I'm definitely really, really excited for it. The cast is amazing. Um, James McAvoy is just such a good actor. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just a, really it's amazing. Insane. <laughs> I wanna, have you seen that Frankenstein movie he was in? Uh, no, I don't think so. I want to say it's him and Daniel Radcliffe. I'm not sure, but I think that's who's in that movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I, I can't say I've seen that one. I am excited for It Chapter 2. Maybe I'll read the book. Yeah, books books long. I recommend it on audio format, but it's still 47 hours long. 
it's too long. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle that. It's way too. I mean, maybe if I was playing a game or something. I I am addicted to Fallout again, so I, that could be a good time pass. Yeah, I feel like that game would be a good uh, audiobook or podcast game. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll talk about this in the future, but I, I don't think that game's gotten the fair shake it deserves from a lot of people. Uh, but rumor has that's going free to play pretty soon. Yeah, Bethesda shot that one right out of the sky. They were like, <laughs> nope, there is no truth to that rumor whatsoever. I was like, all right, good. It's cheap, though. I could see it getting a permanent price drop, for sure. Just yeah. because it pretty much has gotten one. Uh, yeah, you can basically get it in many places for 30 to $40. And I'd say it's definitely worth that. It feels like a $40... You know how... You know how they do, like, Far Cry New Dawn and that game's 40 bucks or whatever? Mm-hmm. Or, like, right. Far Cry... Well, they're stupid. They charge 60 bucks for those games, but they should be 40 bucks. Fallout 76 <laughs> should have been $40 because it feels like it feels like an, a really big expansion to Fallout 4. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. The exact same mechanics, exact same graphics, entirely new map, but the quest system is pared down and all they really added in was multiplayer. So like that trade-off, I feel like they should have came out of the gate selling it for 40 bucks. I feel like it would have gone over a lot better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But anyways, M. Night Shyamalan, our boy, his movie Glass, had an opening that neared $100 million, and Escape Room hit $50 million globally. Horror is hot right now, even though Glass is not a horror movie. And uh, even <laughs> though it had bad reviews, Glass was able to come out on top with $100 million, which on its $48 million budget, it'll definitely make its money back. So that's good. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely did very well for for I'm Night Shyamalan coming back he's he's having a good good couple movies lately so it seems like Dude. he's back on the back on the hot tree hot seat so a lot of people don't know this he took out a five million dollar loan against his house to fund the visit um which is insane because if that movie didn't do well which you know knowing M. Night Shyamalan there's a good chance it right. might not have done well it was like a coin could have lost his house <laughs> that yeah. movie was gonna do well or not it's made a ton of money on that movie, obviously, because Jason Blum came in last second. And they smartly advertised that without his name on it, so it didn't have any, like, real hype. He wanted, I think the, the whole thing was, like, he wanted to see if he could make a good horror movie without the M. Night Shyamalan name attached to it. Mm-hmm. And, by most accounts, he did. So then he yeah, took the profit like that from movie. that. Yeah, he took the profit from that, made Split, self-funded, technically in a new movie at that point. Then he took the profit from Split, which he made. He made that movie for twenty million. He took the profit from that and uh, put twenty million dollars of his own money into um, Glass and self-funded a big chunk of that movie to keep creative control. So you know what, this dude's out here making the movies he wants to make, and I really respect that. And he's he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's like Hollywood won't fund me. I'm out here doing it myself. I think that's cool. Yeah, I respect that for sure. And. I, I think at the very least, love or hate his movies, he's at least unique in what he puts out. It's You're not getting uh, some, like, watered-down or predictable movie. It's always got some kind of unique M. Night Shyamalan flair to it, which I think you have to respect. Yeah, and so this is a good spot for Luke's question. He asked what our favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie is, and his is Signs. He says it scared him as a kid, and it still scares him now. Signs is a good pick. I'm going to have to go with Split. Because I think that movie is, like, immaculate. I think that movie is Oscar-worthy in a lot of ways. Yes, that's um, a great movie. Casey is an awesome character. Just, like, her story as it's doled out. There are a lot of twists in Split. Other than the ending, where, of course, it's revealed that it's a sequel to Unbreakable. The whole twist with what actually happened to Casey as a child and why she's so good at surviving. And, uh, you know, everything you learn about Kevin Wendell Crumb and the Beast and all that. It's, Split is very complex finely woven uh tapestry of a movie and it's well made well acted scary it's in philadelphia looks good it's set in the fall not a lot to complain about with split yeah it's a great movie probably my second favorite on a Shyamalan movie what is your first i would say my first is probably the sixth sense damn like how can you go wrong with that (laughs) oh sixth sense is a great movie and i think that was like the one that really put him on the map um, yeah, that, it definitely that, was. That huge twist, if you go into it not knowing what the twist is, one that kind of unveils itself and you see 
how all the pieces fit together throughout the whole movie. That was just such a cool concept. And it, I think it really kind of put his... That's like his textbook movie. Like, if there was one movie you had to explain M. Night Shyamalan with, it would be The Sixth Sense, in my opinion. It's just like actually, the perfect encapsulation of him as a director and like the great storytelling that kind of all of his movies spawn from. Definitely. And I read an article, which is really crazy. In 2008, he did... Uh, I, I like dug it up on the New York Times website. He basically said like he's like with Sixth Sense and all these other movies. He, the whole reason he stepped out and did Avatar, which is of course his by far worst movie, is because he didn't want to be typecast as the guy who makes horror movies with a twist. Yeah, <laughs> and he like kind of defied against that and it bit him in the ass. But I'm glad he realized that yes, he is the guy who makes horror movies with a twist. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> at the very least people there's definitely a core group of fans that will see whatever he makes just because they want to see what twist he puts in his latest movie right and i will see everything we'll yeah. talk about that in a little <laughs> bit though uh real quick we're going to talk about some video game news days gone it is coming out in april D- uh despite sony not really wanting you to know that they released right a new the trailer <laughs> yeah they released a new trailer for it which is cool it shows off the open world that they've built which is of course in oregon and um they showed off a collector's edition that's 150 dollars. it comes with a statue of the main character deacon who's played by sam whitwer so if you ever want a sam whitwer statue this is the place to do it, it comes with a special cover for the game some really ugly motorcycle skins an <laughs> art book some pins and some stickers uh so that's like 150 that's not too egregious for what collector's editions often sell for and that statue is pretty cool and i've seen the quality of sony statues they're usually pretty good yeah i mean i think anything with a statue is probably worth a hundred at least a hundred dollar price tag so and then you get the game with it which is a 60 dollar game so it's like right right so you're really only paying like what like 80 for the other shit yeah basically yeah looks like 80 dollars with the stuff i don't know um i'm excited for this game the one thing that really bothers me about it, Colin and Chris from Sacred Symbols brought it up. It's it's a zombie game, and the dude rides a motorcycle, which is the loudest form of transportation ever made. And I really hope there's an explanation for that. And if there's not, I curse them both forever for making me think of it, because I never would have thought of that unless they brought it up. I think it's just stylistically cool to be on a motorcycle. Yeah. I do, too. I liked it. I thought it was sweet. <laughs> But now, now you're cursed, listener. Now you have to think about it. Did you watch the trailer? Yeah, with the um, the biomes, how it basically walked through the different um, locations on the map. How they have the one, there's like one area that's kind of covered in volcanic ash. There's another area that's was a dumping ground for people, and now that's infested with huge hordes of zombies. I, it seems cool. Like I could definitely see <laughs> that's myself. That's how mafia works. <laughs> that's how mafia works. You start as level one crook, and then you're mafia boss. Yeah, I could just, I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a cool area for the game to exist in, and I, I'm gonna pick it up. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think both Sony Bend and Sony in general, like Sony Computer Entertainment America, I think they've, they've earned the benefit of the doubt on making a good game here, because uh, yeah, <laughs> Bend is behind some pretty sick games, and a lot of people think this game has been in development a lot longer than it has. Bend made Resistance, uh, Retribution on PSP. They worked on a couple other games for PSP, but they also made Uncharted Golden Abyss, which is better than the original Uncharted. And then Sony had them allegedly working on an infamous Vita game, and then Sony canceled it when Killzone Mercenary didn't sell too well. And then Mm -hmm. Sony had them porting uh, Golden Abyss to PS4 and then canceled that. They just decided not to move forward with it. And Days Gone has really only been in development since 2016. So it's honestly not that long of a dev cycle. No, um, um, that's actually kind of quick for an open world game. They just announced it too early. Like they, it started being worked on at the end of 2015, and then they announced it at E3 2016. Mm-hmm. So it, it did get delayed a few times. Um, it seems like Sony put a quicker turnaround on here than it needed, but this last delay I think was good because it moved it out of February and into April, which gets it out of the way of like Metro, Far Cry. Resident Evil 2. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a it, lot of competition. It gives, it, it in gives people some breathing room. In January. So they can pick it up in April. April seems like it's kind of dead, uh, other than movie wise. Video games, it's kind of a, a lull in that March, April yeah. 
and april does well for sony like last year we got god of war yeah and the biggest media event of the year 13 reasons why season two which i did (laughs) use as fuel to beat the valkyrie queen Uh, (laughs) that's it for the video game news this week real quick though before we get into segment two i posted a resident evil 2 remake review i was lucky enough to get that game early i posted on my youtube channel and once george plays the game we'll talk about it in detail next week but if you want like a quick five minute rundown of whether or not you should buy that game go to my youtube channel uh but with that we're gonna take a quick break and come right back with our review of glass Okay, guys, we're back from the quick break, and this week we're talking about Glass. And this is one of those situations where it just creates a whole lot of dread for me, because I saw this movie a week a week ago. I saw it on Monday of last week, and I absolutely loved it, but it being a very divisive film, I had to wait until Friday for George to actually see it, and George didn't actually see it till today, right? Monday. I saw it yesterday. Or Monday. <laughs> So I was just lying in wait. I was like, "Man, I really hope he likes it." And uh, how what'd you how would you how'd you feel? Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I I had a great time with it. So <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot to unpack with this movie. We'll try and keep it brief because everyone's heard it. This is the third movie in the East Rail 177 trilogy, which M Night Shyamalan started with Unbreakable. And Unbreakable is kind of like the anti-superhero movie. It's like what if superheroes actually existed in real life? And that movie follows David Dunn, who's played by Bruce Willis. He's kind of like this quiet, reserved, contemplative man who, like, over after experiencing a horrific train accident that he is the only survivor of realizes that a he's never been sick and b he has super strength and really can't die it's like a really touching movie but the the main antagonist turns out to be a man named mr glass played by samuel l jackson and he has the affliction of very brittle bones and uh i'm not gonna really spoil the ending like near super intelligence like he's also a very brilliant guy really smart and brittle and then he's like if i'm like this the antithesis to me must be out there so like right. the quiet reserved security guard type that david dunn is is who he's trying to find and he does eventually find him and then split was of course revealed to be the sequel to that and introduced kevin wendell crumb who's the beast and they all sort of come together in this third movie glass which i, I just watched unbreakable and split dude this movie fits in perfectly with them it is literally like what Mr. Glass sets out to do from the beginning, which is reveal that superheroes exist. His goal changes from like confirming with himself that they exist to revealing them if they exist from the entire world. And that's mm-hmm. that's the whole setup for this movie. That's what his goal is the entire time. So yeah. it is it is his movie. It's set up very similarly with that three arc structure that Glass and Unbreak or that Splint Unbreakable have. And I don't know, dude, this movie, like, captivated me. Yeah, I, I had a really fun time with it. I thought that it was paced really well, um, where you kind of, they bring you in with the first act of being kind of very action-heavy. You get to see a little bit of conflict between uh, David Dunn and the Beast, which is kind of something that we were all waiting for, kind yeah. of the two superheroes of the world that have super strength or abilities to kind of duke it out with each other. So we get to see a little bit of that, which was really cool. Their fight um, is well well shot. It does, it's shot like a comic book panel. Like it's really cool how uh, M Night Shyamalan he brought back the same cinematographer to I'm pretty sure to do this from Unbreakable, and it has the same effect. Yeah, and uh, obviously James McAvoy is great in it, uh, playing oh all my God, of his dude. multiple personalities. The same, you know, as good as in Split, if not better. There's a few extra. Um, personalities that come out in this one for brief moments here and there um but as we come to find out they, they don't get to finish their fight because sarah paulson shows up and she is a psychologist who builds a prison for these three our three main characters in order to tell them that they are not actually superheroes and superheroes don't exist so we get this whole right. second act of kind of like the more contemplative 
um, thought-provoking. Are, are superheroes real? Can they exist? We get to see a little bit of introspection with each character, some self-doubt. We get to some flashback scenes. I just thought all that was also really well done and really made me think, like, huh, I wonder where he's going to go with this. Are they actually not superheroes, or is this actually a world where super abilities can't exist? Because it's so grounded as a series, you think, well, maybe they don't have abilities, you know what I mean? Right. And a lot of people are taking umbrage with the second act, where it's all of them together, and they're being deconstructed. I, that was, I don't want to say it was my favorite part of the movie, but that was the point of the movie. I never really lost interest. I was never bored. I was really interested, and it it kind of had me going. I was like, are they superheroes, or aren't they? Like, I was believing yeah. everything, like, people were saying it's too expositional or whatever, but it's really not because that's the the whole point she's she's a psychiatrist she's breaking them down mentally by explaining away things that they've done with their alleged superpowers and i thought that worked really well and just the use of shot work and color in this movie and how m night Shyamalan sees the world i really appreciated it and just the overall message that this movie is trying to deliver towards the end is one that like really i thought was cool it goes against the grain for a lot of people, but I thought it was a cool message. I thought I the ending too much. was a little messy. I think that's probably where the movie falls the most short. Definitely. Um, I think the conflict at the end was fun to watch. I thought that was a cool like ending set piece. I liked that. Um, Bruce Willis does kind of phone it in for most of the movie, I, I felt. I thought he wasn't... But, so. A lot of people are saying that, but that's the character. Like, the character right. of David like Dunn is supposed to look, like, vacant. He's supposed to be just, like, <laughs> you know, there. He's cause right. he, he's unsure of himself. Right, and, and, and he's kind of the easiest to kind of be tricked into that self-doubt where he's he's very easy to manipulate in that way where you can tell him something and he'll really think about it hard and be like, well, like, I didn't, I didn't really want to be a superhero. Maybe I'm, I've been, like fooling myself all this time you know what i mean right he's very introverted and introspective he's the total opposite of mr glass who's like running around in this purple velvet coat you know like has <laughs> right this very funky flamboyant haircut. and like yeah. sure of himself he, he, he knows that he's right because he has this he's so smart that there's no way he can be wrong and he thinks right that. and he's scared his whole thing is he's scared he's a mistake so he wants the world to know who he is to to make an impact you know right. and david dunn he's like He's kind of the opposite. Terms the, yeah, he's come to terms with the fact that he is a superhero. He's like, well, I have these powers. I should use them. But it's not like he's doing it for fame and fortune or anything. He's trying to hide. His whole right. hero persona is the most boring, basic-ass thing ever. He's like, <laughs> poncho man. He just runs around beating the shit out of people. Like, that's that's it. And I thought it was really cool that Shyamalan brought back uh same actor to play his kid. Yeah, uh, that, that was something. He didn't something... get Robin Wright, but I didn't really miss her. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure if, at first, if that kid who was, like, his kid as an adult was played by the same actor, because I hadn't seen Unbreakable in a few years, so I was like, I wonder if that is the same guy, but same actor, they do have some flashbacks with him as a child, and then, um, you know, him as an adult. I I thought the use of flashback was actually really good in this movie, Um, kind of eliminated the need, not, like, the need to not see the other movies, but it, it... gives you all the context you need i think without yeah. having having to bog it down with because i think one of the problems with like the marvel movies is you can't walk into infinity war and enjoy it you need to have seen 10 movies before you can even get the plot of that movie this is more contained and they they have those callbacks right there in the movie so you don't necessarily need to have this deep uh memory of all this lore it's all right there for you yeah, and I definitely think this is a movie that as time goes on, it'll be looked back on better because that's how Unbreakable was. It was not critically incredibly received. It made money, but it wasn't like this amazing blockbuster. And I'm just glad to see Glass is making as much money as it is because it's it really is like an achievement that he was able to get all these people together and finish this story that he's been telling for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, that's that in and of itself, this is the sequel to a movie that came out in 2000 you know it's it's like 20 years in the making this story actually has a conclusion finally with right this. which is great yeah it's cool it's definitely something that i'm glad we got a sequel to it 
and that it's as good as it is. I think this is a super fun movie and an interesting it's interesting. It's well shot. The characters are good. It's well written. Uh, the third act in the the third act is mostly good. I think the ending is a little wishy-washy, but yeah, I, I the thought way that the, f- the the actual like stinger at the end that like shows the shows the you know the fruits of certain characters' labor. You know, mm-hmm. like what happened. I think that was really cool. But the stuff that gets you there in the last act where things kind of jump all over the place and the fight is a little bit messy right and uh they the big mistake here is that mr glass his whole intention is to get the beast and um david dunn the overseer to fight on top of this new tower that's been constructed in philly and it's having its grand opening and they show the tower it's all cgi it's like this incredible looking building they should have just never done that you know like that sort of plays into like that final fight and everything but not enough to where I feel like they should have committed to making that fight happen at that building or never spoke of it, you know? Because he could have just as easily said, I'm going to break the beast out of jail and David Dunn, and they're going to fight right here on the lawn, you know? Right. It, it was kind of a red herring in a way where you expect it didn't maybe need they'll to go be. there, yeah. but but it, it just felt kind of unnecessary because um, we never actually go there so it's like yeah and they've been te- and they show the building which is like right. you went through the trouble of 3d modeling this insane looking building that looks like it's straight out of upgrade it's like why <laughs> yeah. why don't we go there you know it's just weird right that was the one thing that kind of just bugged me about the ending and just just a certain way that it wraps up it, it is kind of cold uh certain things happen to certain characters and i'm not sure about one of them what happened to him i'm not sure if that actually they're gonna stick with but i like that this trilogy has some finality but it is open enough to where they could return to these characters specifically i'd really like to see a sequel where casey is the main character played by anya taylor joy he just set up such an awesome character with her and they kind of allude to her having powers yeah i was gonna say that where they sort of show with her relationship with the beast and her ability to kind of calm him down that she might have some kind of empathic ability of like being able to empathize with people or something through and she can bring out kevin uh to talk to him which which is like kind of a power right yeah she's like an empath you're right right so it's weird how similar this movie is to (laughs) x-men yeah this is like the new mutants we were never gonna get (laughs) yeah right this movie's never happening (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I really liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. And I'd say if you're at all interested in this series, if you've seen any of them, this is one that will not disappoint for the most for most people because I had a lot of fun with it. And if you haven't seen any of this series, I'd say watch all three and then go see Glass. Definitely. I think it's I think it's a great movie. I give it, On Letterboxd, I gave it four stars. A solid four. I, yeah, I, I also gave it four. I think that it's great there's i think a it's bit... on par with unbreakable right yeah like is that fair definitely. to say i agree but with that. i i think split is a solid five split to me is a five out of five yeah i think split is the empire strikes back of the trilogy and this mm-hmm. this is the jedi which i i love jedi but um it, it it's just really good i thought that it was a great conclusion i thought that it did a lot of Like the the characters are well represented. They felt very real to what's been set up in the universe in the previous two movies. Nothing felt like it came out of nowhere. It was an outlier. It, it all worked together in a way that I wouldn't expect it to work as well as it does congealing like this. But I think it all worked out as good as it possibly could. Yeah, I saw someone who was like talking about it in the context of Marvel movies and Infinity War, and it's like you just completely missed the point. It's not supposed to be like that kind of movie, you know? It's right, like, it's not a cataclysmic event where the world's going to end. It's these people that have abilities in a world that's very similar to our own, a very grounded, reality-driven space. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. But um, I'm really happy with how my video review did. It just passed 20,000 views. Actually, wow. 21,000 views, so people are like... And I was really nervous because I was incredibly positive on this movie that apparently everyone <laughs> hated. But I've had, I, I've kept track. I've, I've had, like I can tell you right now. So I've had two negative comments 
about the movie saying like they mm-hmm. didn't like it and they were really respectful they were like i can see the point from people are having that do like it but i just didn't and it's like you can't no one's wrong yeah. it's, it's an right. opinion you know exactly. and um but i i want to see how many comments i had i had 326 comments on this video and every single other than those two the rest were positive so yeah, w- what i've been seeing is uh like on rotten tomatoes or other uh, sites that have kind of critic scores versus audience scores. Critic score has been very low. I think it's sitting at like a 30-something on Rotten Tomatoes. But the audience score is pretty high. I think the general audience who goes sees it likes it, but critics were not not too keen on it. Yes, exactly. I don't know. I really liked it. I'd like to see what he does next now that he's like kind of closed the book on this. I wouldn't be mad if we got a movie featuring Casey, but I'd kind of like to see him do something more in the vein of the visit where it's a standalone horror movie like i think he's primed to go back to all horror you know like yeah i, I could see him taking a break from this universe shelving it maybe coming back to it maybe not it doesn't really need any more in the world but i wouldn't be mad if we got another one right um but i'd like to see kind of what other ideas he has i think he's definitely on a hot streak now um and, and i'm happy to see m night doing good movies again right i saw this uh article before we go i saw this article where someone <laughs> said it was on a variety i think they said that he sh- he shouldn't be able to write his own movies and it's like what fucking basis do you have for any of this his last three movies are financially successful have just like just because you didn't put in the work to go watch unbreakable and see that this is really a true sequel to that and just because you didn't revisit split before this one to realize how much nuance there is connecting all three of these movies like you don't get to do that you know like the visit largely considered a great movie made a lot of money split made a lot of money largely considered an immaculate movie and glass doesn't do well with the critics so now you get to decide that he shouldn't write his movies anymore like go fuck yourself like you shouldn't even be writing (laughs) after a storied (laughs) career of him making movies for the last 20 years 20 plus years with many huge successes on his on his record i mean yeah i saw another article that was saying like why do we keep giving him chances it's like well you didn't do the 10 seconds of research it would take to find out that he fucking self-funded all of his movies his last three (laughs) movies he wasn't right. getting help from Hollywood other than Jason Blum, who is an incredibly intelligent person for signing on with him and helping him get that movie made that he financed himself. That was a yeah, pretty respectful, respectable move. A lot of fingers in this pie, though. It's what distributed by Universal. Blumhouse is part of it. Yeah, it's weird. Mike funding it. It's weird that there's like all these... It's distributed by Disney and Yeah, Disney has a cut, too. It's like, it's well, weird because, how... So this is what happened. <laughs> Disney owns Touchstone Pictures, who is the original maker of Unbreakable, and mm-hmm. they still own all these characters, so they weren't doing anything with it. So M. Night Shyamalan and Jason Blum were able to negotiate with them to get be able to use these characters, but for Split. That's what he wanted to do, was use them for yeah. Split. Then, Split made a ton of money, and it's Disney, and they want a piece of that pie, so they right. decided that since Universal had rights to publish or distribute, I said publish because we were talking about video games, distribute the sequel in the United States, they would handle it internationally as like you know, collateral for using these characters they said great, okay, so when I went to see my screening last Monday Disney International was doing a screening in a foreign language in the same theater there were two oh, tables, really? so it was really funny, yeah I was like, that's crazy but I'm um, not Shyamalan the reason that he is financing these things is I'm sure he wouldn't have had any trouble getting glass made after how well split and the visit right. did he wanted to keep as much creative control as possible so again he took those split profits and then put another loan against his house to come up with a lot of this movie's budget yeah and I think it paid off I think this is a very worthy conclusion to the trilogy and a fun movie that you should go see right so I, I want to say, like, I know he'll be able to get more funding for the next movie, but why should he? I'd, I'd love to see him keep making his movies. Yeah, I want to see him have as much control over it as possible, since that's how we get these weird, fun, M. Night Shyamalan-ass M. Night Shyamalan movies. He's, like, literally as successful as anyone could ever hope to be, and I think there's just <laughs> a lot of jealousy for that. Yeah, I mean, like, people see a There's no one that... else like him. <laughs> He he is he has his own unique style. I, I think the closest thing to an M Night Shyamalan, and not in terms of success wise in the movies, but 
I think Rob Zombie is kind of a comparable director in the sense that right. he has his own style. Every Rob Zombie movie, you know what you're getting into, and he's unapologetically leans into that style. So and now love he's or funding uh, the he's funding Three from Hell because he's like fuck it, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like the same situation. Right. So it's like love or hate his movies. He has a unique style, and you have to respect him for it. Right. And I, I but just to be clear here, I think uh, I think M Night Shyamalan is a far better filmmaker than yes, yes, one hundred percent. I don't <laughs> but, think anyone can really argue with that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that's all I got to say about Glass. Is there anything you have to say about Glass? No, that that was uh, pretty much all I had to say. Go go see Glass, even though it doesn't need anyone else's money. It's already a financial success. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>